Hey, Sulis. After a night downtown cheering on our beloved UND men's hockey team and hanging with friends, there is no other way to end your night than with a nice Deeks pizza. Get your pizza fix or kick it up a notch with one of the five bold wing flavors by ordering from our personal favorite late night joint. Our friends at Deeks Pizza are giving our Sioux Light listeners free delivery on all online orders. Use the promo code LIGHT at checkout. That's promo code L-I-T-E at checkout for free delivery. Go to www.deekspizza.com to get your fix. Also, don't forget to give Deeks a follow on Instagram and TikTok for chances to win free Deeks Pizza and merch. God bless Sioux Hockey and God bless Deeks Pizza. All right, Sulis, welcome back to the podcast. We have episode 14 featuring Mike Commodore. We have Mike yep. Commodore, commie, hashtag in one on the show today. What a, We just got done interviewing that guy. I mean, we're on cloud nine. What Cloud nine. I mean, uh, when Tyler and I first started this, Fuchs, before you showed up in Grand Forks, we sat down. We're like, geez, if we can get Mike Commodore on Sulite, we can die happy. And, and that was it. And that's what we just did today. And right now, I can't even feel the floor. Like, I am floating no, right now. I'm we're so floating. Happy. It's, it was an unbelievable episode, Sulis. I mean, it was, it was a long interview, but man, is it worth it to sit through. That guy told us some of the most incredible stories, times at UND. Uh, he was our first, I think he was our first, he was definitely our first Stanley Cup champion. Oh, I won't 100%. say first NHL player because we had Brad Malone on. We don't want to steal any of his credit, but definitely our first Stanley Cup champion national champion we did have Travis Dunn on we so we got Dunner. our we got our second national champion on but he was all that he cracks up to be and more I mean everybody knows him from Twitter or Chicklets if you listen to Chicklets but like he he's just a great guy he's always for the for the boys like always love to talk to us love to tell stories um I would say top three best interviews we've ever done if not number one because he is hilarious like, this is a laugh out loud interview he i mean i think he's the epitome of what we want sue light to be a hundred brand i mean he loves hockey hardcore hockey guy played a long time in the nhl loves to have a good time off the ice bleeds green he's the epitome of sue light i mean so to have him on he is the face of our program at the moment i mean i'm as happy as can be we have reached the pinnacle of this podcast but we have more left to go oh there's so much more left to go and man did we have a good time we're gonna do a little bit of short little chat here before we send you over to mike commodore uh, boys, I want to talk about how happy I am as a Chicago Blackhawks fan. They are now a wagon. Uh, they were going to do a rebuild, and they did it in one year. Marc-Andre Fleury is not going to retire. He's going to come back, and the Blackhawks are going to win the Cup. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call this the classical sense of the word rebuild. More of a reload-type situation. I mean, I guess they were rebuilding last year. It looks like they're kind of like, let's compete until Taves and Kane are done. And then at that point, we're going to rebuild. That's kind of the what I'm seeing from the cards right now. They're kind of delaying being bad as long as possible. Uh, Seth Jones, Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm not going to sit here and act like those aren't huge pickups. That Tyler Johnson, too. Tyler Johnson. Ma- and ma- Make some automatic cup contenders. I'd yeah, say. obviously. And I want to make sure that I can get this on the record. Uh, this was obviously before a lot of the free agency and the trades. Uh, Tyler told me the Blackhawks will not make the playoffs. Uh, we're going to keep that on the record. And hold whoa, to whoa, it. whoa! That was before Flurry and before Tyler Johnson, but still, I do. This is what I will stand by: is that the Blackhawks will be f- fine this year. They'll probably end up making the playoffs. You hear it on the record, but um, can they compete with Colorado and Vegas out of the West? Those are their top 
you know, if they're going to make a run, those are the teams they're going to have to beat. I don't know. We have yet to see this team. There's a new team coming on the ice, okay? Also, um, when you rebuild through trades and free agency in the NHL, you rebuild with a house of cards, especially when you rebuild in the top six and the top four on the back end. That's a house of cards waiting to fall. So, yes, they might have a good couple of years in the years that Taves and Kane have left, but they're going to fall to the depths of despair in when you look in the five-plus year range. So I'm happy for you, Fuchs. I am. They're going to be fun to watch this year. Really fun to watch this year. Also, another thing that I heard is that Seth Jones is what making nine five. That's okay. Nine five. So who else is who's making more? Is Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty are the only two players making more? And they got paid that. Um, no, Taves and Kane are both making more than that. As defensemen. Oh, okay. as defensemen. Okay. Okay. And in their primes, Doughty and Eric Carlson were head and shoulders better than what Seth Jones is right now. So unless Seth Jones, unless they're planning on him making a huge jump, it is an over it is an overpayment. They do need that number one defenseman. They got him. I will. I am excited to see what the Blackhawks do. And, and let's not forget, Fuchs. I want to hear what you want to say about this. I mean, it feels like Seth Jones is just a replacement for Duncan Keith. Um, so it's not like they're adding that much talent. I mean, I don't know what the marginal difference is between Jones and Keith at this point in their careers, but um, it's not like they're adding him to a stacked blue line. He's expected to come in and be the guy, which he would be on almost every other team in the NHL, right? Right. right. Oh, definitely. Well, my my counterpoint to that is that Duncan Keith wanted to go home and be with his family, and we can respect that. Yeah, I, I 100% respect that. I'm just saying in terms of looking at the team talent-wise. It's tough to say that they're going to win a Stanley Cup. They're probably yeah. going to be... Between looking at Vegas odds, will probably be between like ten and six, somewhere in that range when it comes to odds when they come out at the beginning of the season. Probably more towards the ten range, ten to eight range. Um, yeah, what do you got to say, Fix? I'm just you're the Blackhawks fan here. I'm just looking forward to it, and I'm glad that you guys let me have my time in the limelight. I mean, I really have been looking forward to having something to root for when it comes to Chicago Blackhawks, but. Uh, we talked to Kami about this. He brought the cup to Grand Forks. I just can't wait until Jonathan Taves has his day with the cup again and he brings it across the border from Winnipeg to Grand Forks. That would be nice. They're definitely cup contenders. Um, I think that, I mean, we're not a Blackhawks podcast. We root for them. Their logo is the most similar to the old Sioux logo. So they're cool. Fuchs roots for them. Uh, it's tough to root against Jonathan Taves, Sioux hockey icon. I guess you can say we're kind of a Blackhawks podcast. Uh, we're also a Kraken podcast, and I guess Dave Haxtall hates all UND hockey alumni because not a single one of them was picked. I thought Stetcher was a lock from yeah. Detroit. Thought he, thought he was a lock, and they took another defenseman from Detroit too, some Euro guy. I don't remember. Yeah, but looking at that draft, I mean, definitely some head scratchers. Like it was a head scratching draft when you compare the Vegas draft to the Kraken draft. The Vegas was obviously drafting for now, and they got lucky. Like Vegas kind of nailed it they put all the pieces together and it worked you're looking at the Kraken draft here and you're like okay you got Giordano you got a couple other pieces but the rest of these guys are making less than a million a year they're building for three to four to five years in the future which is how you build a franchise and I like that part of the NHL where you can't just buy a championship like you can in other sick leagues um I think Hacksaw is going to be there for a long time, which is great to see from a UND perspective because that's what the GM's giving him is is a long leash by not drafting a fully stacked roster right away. They don't expect him to win right away. Um, but yes, Kraken podcast for sure. Kraken Kraken podcast. Definitely a Kraken podcast. One thing of note, uh, Sioux hockey fans will definitely know this name, and anybody who knows hockey around this part of the country will definitely know his name. The Kraken drafted from the Buffalo Sabres, Will Borgen. He's from Moorhead, played for Moorhead High. Uh, St. Cloud State alum, 
So obviously, uh, as much as we like to root against the Huskies, we will root for Will Borgen. You know, we love the NCHC guys, and he's a local guy. So hopefully Will Borgen has got the – Hacksaw gives him the chance to crack the lineup a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets any playing time for him or not, but I agree. Him and Carson Soucy, I think, were the only NCHC-affiliated draft picks in that draft. Carson Soucy, obviously, was a Duluth guy back in his day. But uh, it'll be interesting. I think they're going to trade a lot of those pieces that they drafted. We'd, we've already seen that happen. Uh, I think they're going to the be the Grubar pickup was huge for him. So they only got two solid tendies, and Drieger and, and Grubauer. So th- yeah. th- that's another. They got good two good goalies. That's how you, you build from the back front. Mm-hmm. We're ro- we're rooting for Hackstall. Yeah. And I think at this point uh, we should move on to a more somber note. Uh, we should offer our condolences to the University of Minnesota head's hockey coach Bob Motzko. His son died in a tragic car accident. Uh, his name was Mac Motzko. He was, what, 20 years old? 20 years old. Horribly sad. Uh, it's sad whenever a young person dies, but just coming from all of us coming from hockey families, it's incredibly sad when a young hockey player dies. Just so much hope and had such a bright future. So, uh, Absolutely. Even though there are rivals on the ice, uh, this is something that goes beyond the ice, and it's something that we can all share in the grief, and uh, the hockey community can come together and offer our condolences, especially the Sioux Light community. Absolutely, and I well mean, said. I, absolutely well said, Sam. And I and I was reading and seeing posts on Instagram, some people that I played with in the past who had the pleasure to play with Mac in junior hockey, and it's just tough. It's 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 the most tough thing in life, and like you said, our our thoughts and prayers go to Motsko and his family. Honestly, that goes to the Gopher hockey family as well. Um, just everybody who's around him. He seemed like a great kid. Everybody loved him. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's obviously very sad. I mean, we touched on it. It kind of it brings back flashbacks of like the Humboldt bus crash. You know, just a whole bunch of young hockey players uh, seeing their life change forever. Motsko. I mean, this team. I'm sure they're kind of. They might wear a patch. Who knows? Because he. Wasn't. I hope they do, and I hope that when the Gophers come to town on Thanksgiving of silence. weekend, I hope that the Ralph does something as well. I mean, and this I, is a note to all Sulies: respect that moment of silence. Absolutely. No, yep. Absolutely. And and the UND men's Twitter page, uh, hockey Twitter page, did it the best. They said, "While we're rivals on the ice with the Gophers, we hate the Gophers, but we we love and we'll be there for for Motsko in this time." And uh, the outpouring of support on Twitter, even from Sioux fans, was was tremendous. So. I'm proud to be a Sioux hockey fan, um, especially with the community that we have. Like, we're all good people. And uh, once again, just thoughts and prayers to the Motsko family. I don't know. This this is going to be a pretty sandpaper rough transition, but I think we should go to a, a gold medal draft. Yeah, here. we'll do a quick gold medal draft uh, before we go get to our much lighter and a lot more fun uh, interview with Mike Commodore. So our gold medal draft this week on this episode of uh, Sue Light is going to be Olympic themed. We do a gold medal draft. We're gonna we're gonna make it Olympic themed, and uh, we're gonna pick three things: uh, best sports, right? Yep, both winter and summer Olympics. Best both events. Our best events in the Olympic Games. We're only going to pick three this time, not four, because it's gold medals. So we're going to go gold, silver, bronze. Our draft order for this week is going to be Tyler, Sam, Connor, and then we're going to snake it back through. And uh, Tyler, I'll let you go first. So number one pick, first overall, first round pick has got to be hockey. Winter Olympics, can't beat it, must watch every game. Uh, no question. 
Yeah, that, that was obviously the number one overall pick in a hockey podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> hockey, and especially this upcoming year with the NHL players coming back to the Olympics. That'll be oh, electric to watch. So There's no better event in all the sports. Uh, my pick, I'm going to go with something else that is also on the ice. Speed skating. Yes, sir. Speed skating. Polo Anton Ono. Polo Ono, probably the best athlete of our generation, doesn't get enough respect. Uh, yeah, speed skating is my number one pick. You just said the best athlete of our generation, and I don't think that Paulo Ono you can, in speed skating you can say is the best athlete because what about Michael Phelps? I'm going to go with Olympic swimming. No event in particular, but just Olympic swimming. It's electric time. We just watched uh, Katie Ledecky won gold in the, I think it was the 1500 meter, which that's like 12 minutes going fast in a pool. That's a bagger. So I'm going to go with swimming. All right, your second pick. My second pick will be – I'm going to take speed walking. Yep. Speed walking. I, I could compete Interesting. In yep. Speed walking. It's, yep. not, uh, it's not the most athletic sport in the world, but, man, is it funny to watch. These people all look like they have to poop the entire time. They're just, like, clenching and walking. It's, it's hilarious. Great, great sport. I think I could compete in it if I were to dedicate my time. Uh, another sport that I think I'd be able to compete in because I'm well known for it uh, will be table tennis. We just watched as a house the gold medal match uh, between Japan and China. China, China. Uh, Went to yeah, game seven. The co-ed doubles match, and it was electric. Japan came down, came back from down 2-0 sets-wise to win 4-3 in seven sets. So table tennis is really fun to watch. All right, um, you guys talked best, a- best athletes in the world. Uh, you missed the best athlete in the world, both of you, and that is Usain Bolt, and I'm going to do sprinting and track and field, um, the 100 meter, the 200 meter, and I'll throw the 400 meter in there, and then relays in general, sprinting relays. So pretty much all the track well, events? All the well, running events. I mean, you've also got the 800, the 1600, the steeplechase, the heptathlon. That's all. Those are all running events. So sprinting in the sprinting in the Olympics, Usain Bolt is the best athlete of our generation uh, so far. Um, he's fast as fuck, and they're so fun to watch. Every every race is just super hyped up. So, and then my second pick is gonna be badminton. <laughs> Watching yep. the badminton in the Olympics is unbelievable. Okay, people are probably at home chuckling like Connor just did, but if you turn on badminton in the Summer Olympics, do it do it tonight. All right. These guys smack the shit out of that shuttlecock. And they return it, and they smack the shit out of it right back. So please turn it on and watch it. I love that sport. Great sport. It reminds me every time of that one ESPN commercial of David Ortiz, Brian Urlacher, yep. badminton team. Uh, just so much power. Uh, my final pick, um, I'm really tossing between a few sports here. Um, I'm not. Let me start off by saying I'm not a huge fan of the Olympics outside of hockey. Uh, but then let me follow that by saying my final pick will be handball. I think handball is a sport that needs to gain more attention in the United States, uh, should be played uh, on a consistent level in gym class, uh, spread the awareness of handball around the United States, and we will be a dynasty around the world. I can't believe you guys missed this one, but I'm going to take bobsled. Oh. Bobsled. The second best uh, Disney movie ever made, Cool Runnings, after Miracle, obviously. That's the Jamaican bobsled team. The Jamaican bobsled team. Bobsled is so sick. And honestly, it's one of those sports, I mean, you get enough weight in that sled, I feel like you could win. Yeah. You get enough big dudes that sit in your bobsled. Mm -hmm. All right, honorable mention. Honorable mention right away. I can't believe I missed this. I'm going golf. Golf. Golf, 100%. 
Number one honorable mention. Like, yeah. The fact that golf is in the Olympics, it's pretty much a fifth major every four years. I know we huh. talk about the players and John Deere Open as a fifth and sixth, fifth and sixth uh, majors, but golf is awesome to watch in the Olympics. Yeah, those guys playing for their country. It's uh, golf is a special event to watch. I, I really like it. And then there's also some other sports. Baseball is fun to watch. Uh, obviously, we're not watching major league talent. Uh, basketball, USA. I mean, it's kind of like the Soviet Union of the uh, 20th century for hockey yep. with the U.S. But they're faltering, uh, so it's kind of interesting to see. They suck. Um, U.S. track and field. I'm not happy that Shakari Richardson was omitted from the team. But outside of that, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the Olympics. But I tune in, and uh, it's nice to be patriotic every once in a while. Yeah, it happens once every four years. It's obvious that the Winter Olympics are much better than the uh, Summer Olympics. I mean, you have hockey, you have speed skating, you have ski jump, ski jump. You have oh fuck, I you have the luge, that. you have the bobsled. It's the Winter Olympics are much better. We'll get those here in a couple months, but uh, and the the Olympics are. Are awesome. Like Sam said, I don't, I don't, not a huge fan. It's very political. The Olympic Committee is, but I do like watching people compete for the country. You see that it means more when these athletes are out there competing for the country, wearing their flag. So uh, that's why I like to watch it. Well, like Sunjay Im in Korea, they were talking when he teed off on his first hole. He has to, if he medals, he doesn't have to do his military service. Yeah. So that guy's playing. Like he skipped the, the British Open, just to prepare for the Olympics. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy shit. It means more in Korea. It means a lot more for some of those countries, but you know what, boys? I think it's about time that we transition into our Holy Grail, our Mona Lisa that we painted for Sue Light, and that is our interview with Mike Kami Commodore. Enjoy, fellas. Folks, buckle up. We have the Holy Grail of interviews for you. This man is a Sioux Hockey alum, national champion, Stanley Cup champion, world champion, social media mogul, and close personal friend of mine. Please welcome to Sue Light, Mike Commodore. What's up? Thank you. That's a very, very nice intro. Of course. A good friend of yours about the only thing that's true, but I, thank you. I don't know. I think a banner in the Ralph would say different. <laughs> that's true. I guess. That's and maybe true a too. cup banner in Carolina as well. Yeah, that one's true too. Maybe the the, the media, social media mogul might have been the only borderline <laughs> thing on there, but thank you. Of course, and I'm sure people listening right now are going to be wondering. They're going to think, "How the hell did these three scrubs end up getting my Commodore on?" So I got to tell a story. So I was walking through Minneapolis Airport um, about a week ago, and uh, getting off my flight, and I look to my right, and there is the man, the myth, the legend, my Commodore. So I go up to Mike, and I'm like, hey, um, I'm Tyler. Good to meet you. Do you want to grab a beer? We went to the bar, <laughs> the Twins bar in the Minneapolis airport, and we got in one. It was a pleasure to get in one with the in one champion. So thank you for coming on. No, my pleasure. No, you uh, you raised my spirits. I was pissed off because I missed another flight due to Canada's bullshit regulations. <laughs> my PCR test had expired. Uh, I was not happy. I wasn't planning on drinking either, and then you came up. You caught me off guard. I was like, Green Bay, you had a Green Bay Packers shirt on. I'm like, Packers? I'm like, trying to, I'm like, yeah, yeah, my name's Mike. And then you're like, want to have a beer? And I honestly wasn't going to have a drink. I was thinking about sleeping at the airport, to be honest. I was pissed off. But anyways, I was trying to piece my, what I'm going to do. I got to stay the night and fly out at the same time the next day. 
Um, but yeah, so things turn quickly and I thank you for that. Yeah, definitely a night that I will never forget and uh, glad that we could, or I could lift your spirits a little bit and Debbie. That was nice of you. All right. Well, you, I got to ask you to elaborate here because Tyler was telling us about uh, someone who picked you up from the airport. Did you really get picked up by the, from the airport by Ricky Fowler? Uh, when in Minneapolis? Yeah. Or was it no, Ricky's cat? No, 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 no. Okay. No, 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 no. Ricky didn't. Ricky is not picking me up. <laughs> well, we figured he was in town for the three M open. So it, it yeah, seemed, no, it's it a good question. Yeah. So one of my options is I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do that night. Um, was I, I'm good friends with Ricky's caddy, Joe Scobron, and they they were in town for the three M. So I was kind of trying. Anyways, he messaged me, and I'm like, I'm stuck in mini. I'm like, Are you guys here? He, and he's like, Yeah, we're here. And then I kind of, sort of tried to invite myself over, and I didn't get a response right away. So I'm like, Ah, I'm like, they're probably busy. It's a work week. I mean, Joe, they don't want me over there. Uh, so it was one of the options I was looking into. And then actually, a friend of mine, Jesse Polk, actually picked me up at the airport. Probably, it probably would have been right about when you flew out, uh, Tyler. And uh, yeah, it all worked out great. I mean, I'm yeah, glad. I went over to his place. I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd met Jesse a couple of times. Uh, played golf with him once down in Arizona, and he saw my. Uh, oh no, I, I texted him because I was going through. Like I was actually going through some uh, North Dakota alum that live in Minneapolis, and one guy that I'm real good buddies with to this day is Matt Henderson. But he was in Chicago, and he's like, well, you can go stay at my place. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I mean, he's got three kids and his wife's there. I'm like, that's kind of weird. I'm like, I'm sure I can find something a little better. Not better, but where I don't seem like such a weirdo just showing up. My buddy's not there. So it all worked out. Ended up uh, crashing for the night, hanging out the next day. Thought about going to the 3M Open the next day, but then I'm like, well, I'm like, it's 45 minutes away from where I was at. I was fairly close to the airport and I have to get another PCR test to get into Canada. I'm like, I better just keep it simple today so I can try and get on this goddamn flight. And so anyways, it all worked out. I ended up making it all. Well, Kami, you're an A-list celebrity. So that's uh, probably why we figured you're connected to Ricky Fowler. That's well known and all your connections around. You figured something out. Um, and that's why we're so happy to have you on an A-list celebrity Stanley Cup champion. Uh, but first, I want to get into how you got to UND in the first place. Uh, growing up sure. in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, you played your juniors there as well. I just want to know what the process was like uh, with uh, UND's coaches, how they found you, and uh, was it kind of agreed upon before you came to campus? Hey, when you come up here, we uh, kind of want you to be a tough guy on campus. You know what? It was uh, There was absolutely nothing planned about any of it. Um, so, like you said, I'm from Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. Uh, Western, the, the Western Hockey League, the WHL, is big up here. Um, to be honest, I never considered at any point until really my sophomore year when I was kind of getting raided for the draft. And I really never considered professional hockey. Like it never even dawned on me until maybe those ratings. And then when I got drafted, but so fast forward three years before that, um, I was drafted by the Tacoma Rockets, which was in the WHL and they moved to Kelowna, British Columbia. Um, and that was my plan. Well, it wasn't my, I, I was drafted by them like in the last round, the ninth round, I think. Uh, so I went to camp in my, my grade 11 year. I was on the bubble of making the team and went back to school or went back to high school. And then when I went to camp again before my grade 12 year and I made the team and um, I wanted to stay. I, I, I thought it was, I mean, the WHL from where I'm from, that's where you want to be. Um, but my mother was a principal at the high school at the town I grew up in. 
and it's changed now, but back then she would get the horror stories of guys like going off to junior, not going to high school, not graduating high school, not ended up, it ended up being a total shit show. Um, so she was like, Hey, and my dad too. My, he's like, Hey, you're not staying. Look, if you made the team now, you can make it next year. Just come back, play junior at home, tier two junior for the Fort Saskatchewan traders, and then do whatever you want. So that's what I did. I, I left camp and uh, I knew nothing. Well, let me just, I left camp, you know, high school starts. I go, I make the tier two team in Fort Saskatchewan. Um, and about a month into the season, I was sitting in the dressing room and our coach, uh, Doug Shum came down and he said, Hey, Mike, uh, BU's upstairs. You should go talk to him. They want to talk to you right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, what the fuck is BU? <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't know anything about college hockey. Like, hey, we see that too. We say that too in Grand Forks. <laughs> I didn't know a team. I didn't know the University of North Dakota. I'd never seen a game. I didn't know college hockey existed. I, I, I knew nothing. So I went upstairs and sat down and with one of the assistant coaches at BU. And he's like, yeah, you know, here at BU and hands me the program. And then I can see that it's both Boston University. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's like, I, well, you know, what about university? Ever consider going to college? I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure I have. When in reality, I had no idea what he was talking about. So anyways, he left. And then about a month later, uh, the University of North Dakota came. And they did the same thing. Now I at least looked into it a little bit. So I wasn't completely ignorant on what was going on. And so UND came and they were the first uh, school to offer me a fly down. You're allowed, I don't know, I think you're still allowed five a year. And so North Dakota was like, hey, we want to fly you in. I'm like, sure. I'm like, well, I'm not sure what that is exactly. And I'll ask my parents. And they're like, well, no, no, you're not asking your parents. It's just you. You fly in and watch a weekend of college hockey. I'm like, by myself? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, perfect. First time I've ever been out by myself without my parents. I just turned 17 years old. Uh, so I went on this fly down. And I'd gone to like, you know, growing up, I'd gone to, I don't know, quite a few WHL games and you know red deer swift current uh moose jaw anyways i've been to a, a few different ones and you know I mean, just like college hockey some are some are really good atmospheres some aren't so hot or whatever and so anyways i went into the university of north dakota and was for a friday night game against colorado college and i was literally blown away at the old arena it was like 6500 people rink cut in half half students half season ticket holders place was rocking i mean it's it was right on the university there's girls everywhere i'm like fuck the whl i'm coming <laughs> to college so they offered me uh they signed my letter of intent i think like a month or two later and and that is how i ended up at the university of north dakota it was pro hockey was never anything i thought about i just thought i'm like man i'd love to play here this is awesome i always enjoyed playing in front of crowds I'm like i can get an education I'm like, perfect. And so that's how I ended up at UND. Yeah, and the old Ralph, that's important to note for our listeners that uh, you played at UND uh, before the notorious Ralph Engelstead Arena was built. And I just want you to, uh, we previously had on Brad Malone, and he told us some funny stories from his trip when he was visiting UND. Uh, what was your trip like uh, outside of the arena? Who were you staying with? And uh, what were the off-the-ice activities like uh, during that first visit? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we stayed at, uh, so I was there. I mean, I can't remember anybody's name, but so they had, I mean, North Dakota, well, they ended up winning the national title that year. They swept Colorado college. So the Friday night we were staying right on, uh, 
God, it's right on the right on the highway or the road that goes out to the airport there. It was a Holiday Inn, I think, at the time. I'm not sure if it still is. I remember staying there. Friday night, there wasn't a whole lot going on, kind of a tour of the arena, watch the game uh, back home. And then the next night, they had won, so all the guys were going out. So Ian Calais, another Alberta guy, he was in charge of taking me out. And it was like me... And there was this European guy. I think he was from Finland. I can't remember his name. He was just kind of flying himself around, like visiting colleges. I'm not sure exactly what he was doing. But anyways, we ended up going to – so after the game, I went downstairs. Ian's like, hey, you ready to go? And keep in mind, I'm 17 years old here. Like, just turn. And I'm like, yeah. And so we ended up going to a house. No, actually, we went – this was before the flood. The flood was later that year. So we went to the, it was called the Antique in East Grand Forks. And I just remember like a ton of beers. There was a ton of shots. And the I ended up drinking for this Finnish guy because he was like, he was completely overwhelmed. And I'm like, this is awesome. And uh, so I remember going, having a few, went back to one of their houses. There was kind of a house party or whatever. Uh, I remember I puked on the driveway, uh, ended up getting a cab home back to the hotel like late. And the assistant coach was picking me up to drive me back up to Winnipeg to get me on a flight back to Fort Saskatchewan. So this was Sunday morning. I had to play that night in the tier for the Fort Saskatchewan traders. And I was hurting when I got back, like basically landed and straight to the arena and played a game. I think I ended up fighting somebody because I'm like, I feel so terrible. I got to do something here. You're like, I, I can't even skate. I just got to scrap. That's oh, all I'm good for. yeah, I was awful. But I can't remember what happened in the game, whether it doesn't matter. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good time. It was for somebody <clears throat> it obviously was a brand-new experience for me. Um, the guy seemed awesome. And, uh, yeah, that kind of sealed the deal. Yeah, that had to have been a first uh, real good intro to just be like, hey, you come to school here, you're an instant rock star. You run the town. Yeah, it was, uh, you it run was the an town. experience, that's for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Tyler's got a question for you here. Well, sure. I-, I was looking at some of your elite prospects, and one stat that was a real eye-opener uh, when you played uh, in the AJ was uh, 244 pimps with three goals right. and eight assists. Um, yeah. Were you just fighting, like, everybody? Uh, yeah, there was a couple 20 year olds cause I was 17. There was a couple that I was a little leery of and that was really, so that was my, I'd played midget hockey the year before in grade 11 and had a brutal year. Like I broke my ankle, like I hardly played. And then I actually played pretty good the next year. And that was my first time. That was my first year where we, we would play with the half shields and like fighting was allowed in midget hockey. It's not really whatever you get suspended or whatever it was, but so fighting was allowed or encouraged. And, you know, just because of my size, I was one of the bigger guys on the team. I wanted to make the team. And so, yeah, I mean, those three goals and I think whatever, eight assists, those all basically happened. I I know I didn't – I don't think I did much at all until the second half of the year. And then I started getting comfortable. I started coming into my own a little bit. Our team wasn't that great. But, yeah, it was basically, I mean, the Alberta Junior Hockey League. I mean, the game's changed now. But back then, I mean, it was – wasn't prison rules, but it was pretty close. So, yeah, I mean, we go up to Fort McMurray and we do these road trips and it was basically like fight night. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was interesting. It was a lot to handle for sure. I remember I got, 
I mean, my one of the, my teammates' mom was our like nurse would stitch us up. And I was getting stitched up like I don't know how many times. It was like a running joke on the team. I was constantly like I never miss class because, like I said, my my mother was the principal. So we get back from a road trip. It'd be five in the morning and. I got class at eight o'clock. Like I was going to be there. So I'd be showing up to school with black eyes. And so it was interesting. It was a fun year. It was definitely, I don't know, in a way it might've helped me to maybe stay one more year, but that wasn't how it worked out. And, uh, but yeah, it, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, I, that's an unbelievable story. I want to transition to your first year at UND you come into the locker room and that team is stacked coming off a national championship. Dean blaze is mm -hmm. the coach. Um, just, just uh, as you walk into the locker room on your first day, what was that atmosphere like? Um, was it something that you expected, or was it a little bit different than that uh, AJ locker room? Oh, it was definitely different. I mean, I wasn't sure what to expect, to be honest. Um, I was really concerned, actually. Um, not, not about the guys. I mean, you now the guys were awesome on the fly down, but that's like, I mean, you're, it's a fly down, right? That's what they're supposed to do. Is it's a sales pitch. The people that are coming in. Once you're coming in now, I mean, you're competing for jobs. Um, but I mean, no, the guy, the guys were awesome. I mean, when I first got in there, to be honest, I was more concerned about, well, A, I wanted to fit in, but B, I mean, I knew they had a really good team. C, I was young. And then D, I had literally never worked out before in my life, like ever. Like I had never, I'd never lifted a weight. So I was, you know, they have this, the Ironman competition at the beginning of the year where there's like 10 events and there's like bench press and uh, pull-ups and dips. And I'd never done any of this stuff. And I have long arms, I'm heavy. And I wasn't very like, you know, I, I was strong enough, like handling myself, but like weight room, I had no clue what I was doing. So I was worried about that coming in. I mean, like we did like, you had to bench press your body weight. I'll never forget this. And so I'm sitting there in the old Memorial stadium where the football team used to play. And, you know, I'm watching these basically men just like pound out their body weight. Like, I don't know, fifth, I think the low was like eight. The high was like 30. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I've never done a bench press before. I'm like, what? And I weighed 225 pounds at the time. So I remember getting underneath that bench and I'm like, oh my God, like I have no clue what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm not very, I've never lifted a weight in my life. And I remember the weight going up and it coming down and it, I did not even get it off my chest. I was so <laughs> pathetic in all the workouts. Like the assistant coach was like, what are you doing? I'm like, Hey, I go, I've never worked out before now, probably starting in like, Oh, Oh, three Oh four. They started like telling the income, like, Hey, here's what we do. You should work out. Like they never told me anything. I didn't, I didn't know. I just knew there was an Ironman competition. I didn't know what we were doing. So now they're way more prepared and it's a completely different game, but yeah, no, the guys were awesome. Um, you know, we had some, you know, just speaking for the decor. I mean, we had some great defensemen. Curtis Murphy was, I mean, one of the, I mean, he was an unbelievable, he didn't play a whole lot in the NHL, but he was an amazing defenseman. Won the, he had his shore award for the best D in the, in the American league a couple times. And he played forever. Um, he was amazing. Mitch big was great. So it was, but for coming in on a team that had just won a national title, the guys couldn't have been more inviting. Um, and it, it was definitely, it was a good year. We had a great team. I didn't really contribute too much to be honest, but uh, the second most pims on the team. Well, I, I could do that. That was one thing that I could do. I would say probably half of those penalty minutes, Blazer wanted to rip my head off, but I was just trying to do something out there. I wasn't scoring. 
Exactly. And you mentioned that around 03, 04, they started telling the incoming freshmen about the about the Ironman competition and, and all the shit yeah. and stuff that you guys had to have to do. Well, that was probably about the time that Hackstall came in. So you're talking yeah, about... Actually, yeah, you actually, that's actually, I've never thought of it like that. That's <laughs> actually a really good point. It was probably after Blazer was gone, Hack started like, hey, here's a, here's a summer program. You should probably work out. Here's what we're doing in the fall. Try and be ready where... Like there was nothing light bulb like, Get, getting a little bit more, getting a little bit more analytical and scientific with it. And we all know, I yeah. mean, as Sioux fans, we know how crazy Dean blaze was pulling goalies with eight minutes left. Talk about what it was like to play for Dean blaze. I mean, he's a legend in, in the hockey world, not even just the college hockey world. So just talk about yeah. Dean. Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Dean's a great guy. I mean, he was very intimidating. Uh, I will say like uh, coming in, he was very intimidating. He was, he was hard on guys. Um, but, but in a good way, like not in a bad way, but he was hard on guys. He was, but if you worked for him, he liked to, uh, he was a great guy. I mean, I, I didn't really, you know, I, like I said, when I came in, I was very, very young. So he was hard on me. Things weren't easy, which, and that's how it should be. Um, uh, but like, as I got to know him and, and as I started playing more over my three years there, uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I made a couple of mistakes in college off the ice. I'll tell you what, he was, he was always there for me. He was the first guy that had my back. Um, so I really can't say enough good things about him. Dean was awesome. Uh, he was very old school, like practice wise. Like I do remember like one of my first practices when I got there, like it was just a completely new world for me. Like it might've been the first one where, uh, I mean, we were skating and I was, I remember skating around the ice and I was, I mean, I was never a good skater, like for my entire career, period, professionally included. So skating was hard for me. And I remember like the first practice thinking like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. This is hard. But anyways, <laughs> grinded it out. But he had like old school things where, you know, throwing the tires on the ice and skate through the tires, making plays and he'd holler at you. Um, but yeah, no, he, he was great. He knew, obviously he knew what he was doing. His track record speaks for himself and, uh, I, I, unfortunately after college, I didn't really see him much. Uh, and then the last time I saw him was what, three, four years ago now. And he got inducted in the hall of fame and our 2000 team did. And yeah, he's a good dude. Very intimidating for sure. Definitely at first, but at the end of the day, a really good guy. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that 2000 team. Um, I don't know how many leftovers there were from the 97 title team on that 2000 national title team, but, uh, I want you to elaborate about the culture in the locker room, just like uh, how soon the guys were starting to say, hey, this is reality. We can win a national championship and uh, just talk about the leaders on that team as well. Sure. As far as guys that uh, carryovers from the from the 97 team, I think it was Jason Almer, Brad Defaw, and Peter Armburst. I think that's it. Without looking at the lineup, I'm pretty sure that's it. Uh, you know what, to be completely honest, Wes Dory and I were freshmen together. And when we came into college or our first year, you know, we're looking at the rosters and, you know, sophomore, freshman, senior, they just won. And I remember us talking, we're like, well, we'd better win a national title in our first two years. Cause we are going to be dog shit in the third year. <laughs> so our first year we were unbelievable. We ended up having to go to Michigan. We're the number one seed in the country. We had to go to Michigan and play Michigan in their home barn in the quarterfinals to get to the frozen four. We lose by a goal. I think we, we might've lost in overtime. Our second year, we were really good again. And we ended up, we laid an egg. We went out, they had a regional 
out at Wisconsin at the old Dane County Col- uh, Coliseum, which was the arena was uh, actually it was a dump. It was a huge arena and nobody was there. We played Boston College and I, we lost. I can't remember what the score is. We lost. So now we're like, oh, God. So now we lost a bunch of guys and we're really young. Uh, so our third year, to be honest, the expectations were pretty low compared to the first two years, really low. Um, but we had some guys back. We had some we had some really good players come in. I mean, some some notable guys that kind of stand out, uh, like Ryan Beta came in. He went right and played with Lee Gorn and, and Jason Almer on the first line. He was great. Uh, Travis Roach, it was his first year being eligible. Uh, he, being completely honest, he, he was the best player on that team, and I don't think the second best guy I don't think was anywhere close. Uh, he was an incredible hockey player. And so we just got rolling. We started winning, and obviously the guys – that had already done it before had the had, had some experience and once we got rolling uh we were to be honest we, we i can't remember what our record was but it was really good we got hot towards the end of the year and then with the ncaa tournament right i mean if you get hot at the right time you could beat anybody and one game you know, means everything uh and we got hot at the right time at the end of the year and i think niagara did, a, did us a favor we got spanked it was the only game I remember in college. It might have happened another time. We got spanked by the University of New Hampshire at the Christmas tournament in New Hampshire. I think it was like 9-2. And we were lined up in the tournament. New Hampshire was playing Niagara. The tournament was in Minneapolis, the, to the regional or whatever, to get to the Frozen Four. And Niagara had like a huge upset and beat New Hampshire. And I remember we were like, thank God. We didn't have, we wanted nothing to do with New Hampshire. We kind of spanked Niagara and then off to Providence. So what seed were you guys going into the national uh, tournament the year you guys won it then? Oof. We were high. Like, uh, we weren't one. Boston College had to have been one. They were loaded. I would say probably, I don't know off the top of my head, but if I had to say, I'd probably say, uh Probably top five, I'd say. We didn't win the league like the regular season. Wisconsin had a really good team that year. So the only time I was ever swept in college or while I was there was that year we went into Wisconsin. They had a new rink. That was when Steve Reinprick was there. Danny Heatley was there. And we lost both games in overtime. That was the only time uh, during my three years that we got swept. So they won the regular season. Then I think we won the WHL or WHA final five. Um, yeah, we must've been, we had, we were high, like we, but we were definitely weren't one or two. That's for sure. Probably top five. So what's the scene in Forks when you guys come back with a national championship? I barely remember that. I was going to say, <laughs> and, and then my follow-up question was going to be, does the Grand Forks national championship, uh, scene rival the Raleigh, North Carolina Stanley cup scene? You know what? To me, they were both like equally awesome. I mean, there were two different things, but I mean, at the time and, and still to this day, I'm very proud of what we did at the University of North Dakota. I mean, at the time when, when I got to college, my goal was to win a national title. That was it. That, that was my only goal. I'm like, hey, they just won in 97. I'm like, this team is a powerhouse. I'm like, I want to win a national title. I want to win something. I hadn't won anything in hockey up to that point. Uh, but yeah, no, it was good. We, I mean, we, we upset Boston, Boston College in the final. We, we played a really good game. Uh, I remember a bunch of the guys that were of age. I was still underage. Uh, a bunch of the guys went to the bar across the street. This is why I don't really remember a whole lot of them getting home. 
And I remember me and Wes, Dory again, my roommate. So the guys that were of age, and Wes was like 25 at this time. Rest of the guys had gone on across the street to a bar, like with the fans. And I mean, it was really cool. We we're in Providence, Rhode Island, so which is an hour maybe from Boston. So like literally the entire arena was Boston College fans, except for one one section of like Sioux fans. And uh, so everybody went across to the bar, and Wes and I were walking along the arena, and we walk outside. And we're planning on going to the bar, and uh, Wes, the, the Bud Light truck pulled up, like a like a freezer truck or a fridge truck or whatever to deliver beers. And uh, Wes, <laughs> Wes just asked the guy, driver gets out. Wes is like, hey, you got beers in the back there? The guy kind of laughs. He's like, what teams you guys play for? We're like, we're with North Dakota. He's like, you guys win? He goes, we did. He goes, you know what? And he just opened up the back of the door. He goes, you guys have at her. So Wes and I sat in the back of that fridge truck literally we made chairs out of cases of beer we just were ripping them open drinking whatever then we got on the plane and got back to north dakota yeah it was super fun i remember there being some fans at the airport uh yeah i mean we gotta get an the- animated scene of that that's awesome i'll never forget that that was i remember sitting in the back i thought it was the coolest thing in the world that it is the awesome. coolest thing in the world like without a doubt Without I mean, a doubt, that's on. And we didn't miss the plane. We were on time, which Blazer was, which is actually shocking to me. West must have had a watch on because shit, we wouldn't have got out of there if we didn't have a watch. We would have missed everything. But oh, it all man. That's unreal. That's unbelievable. Well, I think that what oh, we'll do now is. Oh, I got one here. You got one more. So, I'm a huge Pims guy. You had 154 your sophomore and junior year in school. Was there fighting in college hockey? Like that's tough to rack up that many penalty minutes. Um, what was a fighting rule back then? The fighting rule was like, if you fought one time, your first fight, uh, you got a one game suspension. Your second time, if you fought, you got a three game suspension. And the third time you fought, you were done for the year. So basically there was no fighting. Um, I kind of thought that it would be good for me to maybe create a little space for me. I I tried to get in something like one time a year, one game suspension you can handle. Three games, I'm like, that's too much. Like in a college hockey season, if you know, if you're lucky, you play 40 games. That's too much. Then obviously, you know, you don't want to miss, be suspended for the year. Um, yeah, I mean, so I like the first year. I don't know how many. Yeah, first year was really nothing. Uh, the second year, I got kind of jumped by a guy from Wisconsin, um, Alex Brooks, who had a, he had a good professional career for himself. That was at home. He started the fight. I definitely got the better of him i mean i had a couple inches on him but he started the fight um and then in the third year i fought a guy from saint cloud um but yeah the penalty minutes that was actually kind of one of the i wanted to come back for my senior year um but my goal was to win a national title but we were we had everybody coming back the next year basically uh, so I wanted to come back for my senior year. I, I loved the university of North Dakota. I had a blast there. I got treated awesome. So I wanted to come back, but it kind of got to the point, unfortunately, where I was getting penalties for basically hitting people like, like body checks, like clean body checks. I was getting penalized for hitting people too hard. And it almost got to the point where I'm like, I don't know what else I can do here. Like, I mean, it's kind of what I do, and if I'm getting penalties all the time. So it, it, on my third year, it, it was starting – well, it, it wasn't starting. It was out of hand. Like, I remember a ton of times where I'm like, are you shitting me? I'm like, that is a clean hit. 
I hit the guy hard, it was clean, and I get two minutes for roughing or four minutes for or whatever it was. So yeah, the, to answer your question, I guess, yeah, there, there was some fighting, not much. Um, but yeah, that was one of the reasons why, well, that and the fact that back then, it's, it's definitely different now. You know, I, I was offered, I had no money when I was in college, like most college kids. And I had an opportunity to leave after we won and go to New Jersey. And back then, the, well, this was the penalty minutes. And then the other reason was I was offered a signing bonus, which was more money than I'd ever dreamed of having. And if I decided to come back for my senior year, New Jersey still had my rights. And that signing bonus could have went from 450, which I ended up signing for. They could have offered me $10 the next year. And my only other option, my only option to, is to either take it or sit out a year to become a free agent. You couldn't go play anywhere else. No pro league. So th those two things combined it was a really tough decision for me, but that was the reason why I left. Well, you know what? I would instantly, with $450,000, that's a, that's a no-brainer, and I think you made the right choice. And to go out on top. Too. And to go out on top, no less. Uh, let's transition. That was a perfect transition into your hockey career. You're doing your, our job for us um, <laughs> into your pro career. So you said you were drafted by New Jersey, kind of bounced around the minors a little bit before you eventually settled in Carolina. Uh, mm -hmm. What what was that kind of like, You're just your first intro to pro hockey and, and being up and down and playing all over the place? Yeah, it, it was interesting. It was, it was really different. Uh, you know, I was used to, I would say the biggest adjustment. I mean, obviously the level of hockey goes up, um, but I would say the biggest adjustment, and I think where a lot of guys kind of fall apart might not so much be the hockey, but you know, I, I'm coming from, from university where, you know, your schedule is set out for you. You know, you got practice every day at three. Other than that, you got class Monday through Friday, you know, like your schedule is kind of set up for you. And then when you turn pro, and, you know, I started in Albany where now all of a sudden it's now you got some money and you're making some money. And now all of a sudden, you know, you got practice in the morning. And then if you don't have a game, you got the rest of the day to yourself. And a lot of guys can find, kind of fall into a into the pit there a little bit where it's like, OK, well, I got a lot of money, you know, for the at the time and I got nothing to do. And so I would say that was the biggest adjustment. To be honest, it took me a couple of years to kind of figure it out where, you know, you need to find time to, it sounds stupid, but you need to find time. You need to find ways, productive ways to fill your time away from the ice. Um, hockey wise. I mean, it, it was definitely an adjustment too. Like I said, the, the level of play goes up, but it was interesting. Like, you know, I, I got traded a bunch and up and down all the time. And, uh, um, you know, I went into New Jersey where, and I had really good camps there. I was there for like up and down there for two years. Um, you know, I was coming into a team that had just won the Stanley Cup in 2000. So there wasn't much. I mean, the decor was Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, uh, Ken Danico, Colin White, Brian Rafalski. And then the sixth spot was kind of sort of here or there. But then New Jersey would trade for a veteran guy, at the, at, you know, at the trade deadline because they were still trying to win cups. So there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity there. I'm actually fortunate I played 55 games there over two years. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. I figured it out after my third year, uh, but there was a lot of time in the minors for sure. Uh, going to the finals with the Flames was awesome. It was a, obviously a very good experience for me. That helped too. And then as much as the lockout sucked at the time in 0405 when there was no NHL, it ended up being the best thing that happened in my career uh, because that was the reason why I ended up getting traded to Carolina and then it went from there. 
You said you were from Alberta, and you also played for the Calgary Flames. What was it like kind of playing for a hometown team? Yeah, it was cool. Like, when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up, Fort Saskatchewan's like 15 minutes from the rink uh, in Edmonton. So I was growing up, you know, during the Oilers' heyday with Gretzky. I mean, they were winning cups every other year. And I always cheered for the underdog for no good reason. It's just kind of what I did as a kid. I, what I still kind of do, to be honest. But um, so I always kind of always a Flames fan. The Flames were good then, too. Like, they won in 89, but they were still always kind of second tier, so to speak, to Edmonton. So I always cheered for the Flames. So, yeah, it, it was cool when it ended up working out when I got traded to Calgary. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Like, it, it was nice that my parents weren't too far away. Um, you know, I had buddies that weren't too far, and I was still close, and I'd spend the summers in Calgary. Um, so, yeah, it, it ended up working out really really well and my timing like I, said, I mean you know to be to be successful in professional sports i mean obviously you have to put the work in and you have to have a little bit of talent and but you also have to be there's a lot of luck that goes into it for sure too and timing is huge and my timing coming to calgary couldn't have been any better um the 04 year especially the 04 playoff run was was big and i mean they still talk about it. i'm in calgary right now that's where i live they still talk about it to this day it was 17 years ago and we didn't even win uh, so it was good timing for sure on my behalf. I want to, I want to know what, um, uh, what was your first aha moment in the NHL? Like, holy shit, I'm playing, I've reached the pinnacle of my career. I'm playing in the best professional hockey league in the world. Was it maybe lining up against a player that you've grew, grew up watching or playing in Madison, Madison square garden? What, what was it? Uh, you know what I would say was, uh, first thing that come to mind, it's a good question. I would say it was my first game. Uh, my first game, uh, I started the year in my, in my, my first year, I started the game in the minors. I took a slap shot to the eye. Like I was like a fraction of an inch from my career being done right then and there. Like I had to have eye surgery. I shattered my orbital bones, everything like that. I was out for like five weeks. I had to have eye surgery and then came back, played a couple games in the minors. We're still playing. Okay. I had to wear a half shield though. Cause my face was a disaster. <laughs> Um, and I got called up and my first game was in Florida. And I would say that, yeah, that's the moment that kind of, there's two moments that happened in that. Well, one was before the game. I remember going out for warmups, coming back in. Now we're going out in the ice. So I get up, I'm walking out and Scott Stevens stepped in front of me and he took his glove off. He goes, Mike, congratulations. Welcome to the NHL. And he shook my hand. I remember that. I'm like, holy shit, I am here. Chills. And then that's a I sick guy say, to come up oh, to you too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That the Scott Stevens commanded respect. He didn't even <laughs> need to say anything. That guy. You're like, yes, yeah, sir. And, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> I'll stick around as long as you let me. Uh, and then I would say I, it was one of my first first shifts or so. Uh, actually, I think it was the first time I had the puck. It was very early. Whatever it was, I remember getting it. My D partner was Ken Danico. Ken gave me the puck D to D, and I remember looking up, and there was a winger kind of open on the wall. And I kind of looked it off a little bit. And then I hit Scott Gomez in the middle of the pass. I mean, it was, it was a nothing play. Like if you were, if you were watching the game, you wouldn't even like, it was a nothing play. I mean, I, I did what I was supposed to do, hit the guy that, you know, in the middle that's open. Uh, but once I made that pass, I'm like, you know what? I can play here. Let's go. And those were kind of two moments that, that stick out to me. Yeah, it's every kid's dream, right? To play in the NHL. I mean, those are huge moments that always stick out. I want to ask about, um, the Afro, the ginger Afro has become synonymous with Mike Commodore. Where did that come from? Did, is that like your natural hair? Would you go get a perm every day for that? Or what, what was the deal? I have never gotten a perm. No, that is as natural as it gets. That actually started at the University of North Dakota. 
Um, my second year, my sophomore year, uh, Jeff Ulmer, Jason's older brother, was a senior. And back then, we used to get report cards from Blazer. So Blazer would give us a report card after every weekend. You were either a one, two, or a three. One, you played great. Two, you were average. Three, you were dog shit. That was it. One of you was one of three. And so Jeff and I decided, we're like, hey, like, why don't we grow our hair out until we get a three, until we're dog shit? Like, All right, so we'll do that. Well, just happened that, I mean, we had a good team. So not we weren't threes until like, like almost the end of the year. I think I got a three like late in the year. But by that point, I've been growing my hair out since September. So I'm like, ah, I'm not cutting it now. I've come this far. Um, so it came from there. Like, I, I remember like the, the fans liked it. And I'm like, oh, like, people kind of like this shit. I'm like, it was a little bit irritating to be. I mean, I keep it high and tight now just because that long hair. Like, I it was fine when it was long, but it was like the tennis ball stage, like from month like two to five where i'm like i look like an idiot i'm like i don't know what to do with this i mean it didn't matter anyways but yeah so that came from college and i couldn't do it in new jersey but i basically ended up doing it actually i did it every year i played professional hockey but obviously the only two years people kind of remember are the, the two runs to the finals yeah and obviously people remember for you having the the big ginger afro above your head but they also remember you having the stanley cup above your head Let's talk about your time in Carolina. What just kind of talk about what it was like to play in such a non-traditional hockey market, but then also like what the fans were like, and you, you brought a Stanley Cup to to Raleigh. Just just talk about your entire time there and, and the the playoff run in the Cup final, what that was like. Yeah, sure. So I got traded to Raleigh after the 0405 lockout year, the draft there. I think it was the uh, draft where Crosby got picked first. Uh, I got traded from Calgary to Carolina. And at first, when I first got traded, I was like, ah, shit. I'm like, you know, Carolina in the last NHL season was terrible. They finished like, if it wasn't last, it was next to last. And we had just gone to the finals and lost in game seven in Calgary. So for like 10 seconds, I was like, well, shit. But then, um, you know, if I sit and look at the roster for the Calgary Flames, you know, they have whatever. They had like nine they had eight guys on including me they had eight guys on one-way contracts and Dion Phaneuf was coming in their high pick who ended up having a good career for himself you ever heard so of I was the lowest paid guy on the totem pole so I'm like well I'm like if I go back to Calgary it really doesn't matter how well I play I'm like I'm starting the year in the minors probably anyways so I'm like this is a good opportunity so went down to Carolina I played a couple games there just as like on the road but never done anything like that couldn't tell you anything about just literally went to the hotel in the rink. Uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. It took me a little while to get used to. It was my first time playing in like a warmer weather climate. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Raleigh, the triangle area, Durham and Chapel Hill. I mean, that's, that's college country. That's college basketball country. So for like the first half of the year, especially like my first year, you know, we were, we were supposed, we were picked to finish like 28th, 29th. We were supposed to be shitty. And, but we had a good team and we, I mean, one of the main reasons why we won in 06 is they changed the rules and there was less hooking, less holding. So more premium on like speed and playmaking. And I think we were one of the main reasons why we won is we had a roster. I mean, I guess maybe not me included, but we had a roster that was built to score, especially up front. Um, so like for the first little while, like, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Raleigh, but like, 
tall trees everywhere. All the roads go in circles. I'm like, where the fuck am I going? So the first year, I had like no clue where anything was. I knew how to get from my house to the practice rink. I knew how to get from my house to the game rink. And I knew how to get from both places and my house to the airport. And I knew how to get to this one strip of bars. Other than that, I didn't know anything. So for the first like two, three months, I'm like, man, I don't know if I really like it here. And there weren't that many people in the rank because they're all watching basketball or football. And then I got one of those GPS Garmin things I put in my, put in my car. And I had fucking GPS. Or, I mean, now it's in every car. But I'm like, the world opened up to me. Now we're after Christmas. We still got a good team. Everybody clued in that we were good. And then the rink was full. And overall, my experience there was awesome. I enjoyed it. I just went, well, obviously, I was just there right before I met Tyler. Um, yeah, it was awesome. It was a really good time. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough to leave, for sure. I mean, I got traded out of there. They didn't want to pay me too cheap. But uh, <laughs> it was a good time. I, I'm, I'm grateful for my time there. I enjoy going back there. I definitely don't get there enough. Um, it, it was fun. It, it's a... It's not a traditional market, but it's a really, really good place to play. I could easily spend the rest of my life there. It's awesome. And it, it helps at the hockey market when you win too, right? And uh, so you win the Stanley Cup, and everybody knows the tradition. Everybody gets to spend their time with the Stanley Cup. Uh, Tyler was telling us that you told him a little bit about uh, your time with the Cup in the airport, but I want you to elaborate for our listeners. How did you spend your time with the Stanley Cup? Did you bring it home? Did you bring it to Grand Forks? Uh, how did you spend your time with Lord Stanley? Yeah, so it actually worked out pretty good where, so me and, and then uh, one of the other guys on the team, great, played 23 years in the NHL, Ray Whitney. Him and I are both from Fort Saskatchewan, so we ended up winning together. And so our cup time was coming up, it was like the second or third week weekend of August. And uh, so Ray and I were ch- talking and he's like, hey, why don't we just combine our days? I'm like, yeah, I go, that sounds good. I'm like, let's do it. I'm like, what do you want to do? I'm like, we got to take it home. He's like, yeah, let's take it home. And he was investing in this golf course out on Vancouver Island. He goes, can we take it there? And he, he goes, it's going to cut into your day a little bit. I go, no problem. So I called the Hurricanes, and I ended up getting an extra day. Um, so one of the cool things when I was in college is that the Dallas Stars won in 1999, and Ed Belfour brought the cup back to Grand Forks, and I was there for that. And I thought that was really cool. So I remember, I'm like, man, if I ever win this thing, if I'm ever lucky enough, I'm like, I would like to bring it back. So I talked to the Hurricanes. They gave me an extra day. So it ended up working out pretty good. Ray and I split the first day. Like the, we went, we had to go get it in St. Louis uh, from Doug Waite. Then we flew it back to Edmonton. Ray, we kind of had our like in Fort Saskatchewan day. Then Ray had a party that night. Then we got on a plane the next morning, took off to Vancouver Island, then came back. Then it was kind of officially my time. I had like 10 buddies from home and a party bus waiting at my parents' place. And uh, we could have went out in Edmonton. That would have been closer for sure. But I was like, "Eh." I'm like, we just beat the Oilers. I'm like, I don't really spend a whole lot of time here anymore. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is we go out and get hammered and some Oiler fan says something. One of my buddies flies off the handle and now we're in trouble. I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, party bus. We're going to go three hours down the road to Calgary. So we did a pub crawl. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was a good time. Uh, and then Cam Ward had it on the Monday, which I screwed up. I should have taken that day and given Cam Tuesday, but whatever. Can't do anything about it now. And then Tuesday, um, the last day, <clears throat> so I guess it would be raised on our third day. Um, the university sent a plane out to pick me up. 
I told him, I'm like, Hey, I'm like, I want to come to North Dakota. I'd love to bring it there, but I'm like, I'm not flying at the time. It would, or, no, I would, I'm like, I'm not flying Delta. I'm like, it's going to take me all day. So I'm like, it's got a great aviation school there. I'm like, send a plane. So they're like, no problem. So, uh, pilot's name was Steve. He came out, flew out, picked me up. Uh, my parents, you know, my parents came, I think can't really remember. Anyways, it was a great day. We had the day, did a little thing at the arena, went to Judy's. We yep, had a little yep, dating yep. girl from the time there. Yeah, we were in Judy's. Yeah, we had a few beers there. We love uh, Judy's. Yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. And then, I, unfortunately, I couldn't keep it there that night uh, because the cup needed to be in rich, no, needed to be in British Columbia for Andrew Ladd the next day. So there was no night party, unfortunately, but we had a great day with it, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, that picture of the cup in Judy's, I, I remember the first time I went there, I think I was 19 years old. Not to, I think you got past the statute of limitations <laughs> on that, but um, I remember looking at that, I was like, holy shit, the cup was in this building. Like, that's unbelievable. So I, I mean, it's been in there a few times. I'm sure Greener's got a picture up there, too, doesn't he, Matt Green? Yep, he does. does. He yep, up yep, there? Yep, yep, he yep. does. They have a, they have his jersey. Yep. They don't have a picture of him with the cup in there. Oh, oh green is on Yeah, what's right. Yeah, I think we should kind of get into the fun stuff. So, Mike, if you don't mind, you were talking about uh, a hard ass coach that the players really respected early on in this conversation. Could any coaches come to mind that was a hard ass that players didn't respect that you maybe want to talk about a little bit? <laughs> they they did or didn't did not did not respect did not yeah, yeah i know his name also comes up when we google search uh mike commodore right. it's the one that people it also has search taken for. on a life of its own yeah. <laughs> and i, I think not. i think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about it obviously you can go to whatever length you want to go to to talk about it but uh yeah yeah uh, mike babcock would be the first guy that comes yeah. to mind <laughs> yeah and see i grew uh, up yeah, a blackhawks I mean, fan so i hate him just as much Oh, okay, good. I like hearing that. Yeah, I mean, he's – I can't even really say a whole lot hockey-wise about him other than – I mean, he definitely knows the game. I mean, he didn't end up – he wanted to play pro, and he couldn't play pro. He wasn't good enough. And so he went into coaching right away, which, fine, good for him. He went and got a psychology degree from McGill University in Montreal. So now he's he knows how to fuck with people, so to speak. Uh, and he got into coaching right away. And, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I mean – does he know hockey? Yeah, he knows hockey for sure. Uh, can he run a practice? Yeah, he runs a solid practice. From what I could tell, the few times I was allowed to practice, it seemed like a pretty good practice. Uh, is he all that he's cracked up to be? Fuck no. Uh, in my opinion, his greatest job of coaching was his first year when he had Anaheim. Now, I had two run-ins with him. I won't get into the whole thing. Otherwise, I'll be talking for three hours. But <laughs> he didn't like me. We, they traded for me in the summer after New Jersey, came to Anaheim. He had somebody else he wanted to play. I was gone. He buried me in the paper for absolutely no reason. I didn't like him because of that. Anyways, life goes on. You know, we each go our separate ways. He did a great job of coaching that year. Now he's riding a hot goalie, but whatever. Everybody needs a hot goalie. So he did a great job in Anaheim. They ended up losing New Jersey in 03. Then he goes to Detroit. Yes, they make the playoffs every year. They made the playoffs every year before then too. Won a Stanley Cup. Am I going to brush that aside? No. That's a hell of an accomplishment. 100%. Good for him. Uh, head coach of Team Canada. If there's one thing Mike Babcock loves – I mean, he's a legend, just ask him. I mean, this guy thinks he is the man. And if there's one thing he loves, there's one thing that motherfucker is never going to miss, 
he will never miss a media day. He will never miss an interview. He is, he will pump his tires all day. And then you get media personalities, Pierre Maguire, that just kiss his ass. So anyways, he ends up getting the team, hockey Canada or team Canada Olympic job, which yes. And they won two gold medals. Yes. Is that a great accomplishment? There's no doubt about it. At the same time though, I mean, it wasn't like he was coaching Switzerland. I mean, he's coaching Team Canada for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, Sidney Crosby on your us, team. Right? The four of us could be a coaching staff and get behind those teams. And honest to God, we'd have a pretty good chance of winning gold. It'd literally be like, okay, um, let's set up our power play. Who's on the penalty kill? Okay, what do you guys want to do? Okay, that sounds good. Let's just roll them. Here you go. Have fun, fellas. I mean, I don't give them good for him. But like I said, he. And then I have a whole nother deal with him because he fucked me over when I signed in Detroit. I didn't want to sign there. Lied straight to my face over the phone when I asked him. I'm like, hey, I think you're getting me in here just to end my career. It was towards the well, it was basically the end of my career. It was the end of my NHL career. And he lied to my face. I knew exactly what he was doing. I took him out his word where he was going to give me an opportunity, and he did anything but. And that's the main for me. That's the main reason where I'm like, I got no fucking time for this guy. It makes me sick to see him on TV. Uh, you know, I always want to see people get jobs, whether I like them or not. But that guy's made enough money. He can kiss my ass. I hope he never gets another job in the NHL. And what what about the Chelios factor, too? Him scratching Chelios on what would have been his 1500th game. Do you hold that against him? Mike Medano. Oh, it's Medano. Oh, he did it yeah, to Medano? Medano. <laughs> we got a picture of, yeah, a picture I mean, of Medano hanging in our house. <laughs> yeah. Mike Medano. So I found I didn't know about that story until uh, I, I don't think I was done in the NHL, but I think I, I was like on my way to Russia or something. Anyways, I went on a golf trip. Medano was on the golf trip. I knew nothing about this story and I hadn't said anything about Babs or anything yet. And uh, Mike ended up talking about this and I'm like, wait, what would you say? And I just met the guy. We're on the bus. I can't remember what golf course we're going to, but I'm like, wait, what happened? I'm like, did you seriously? He, finish at 1,499 games. He's like, yeah. So I'm like, I looked it up on my phone. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And so then I got the story and you kind of had to, Mike's a really nice guy and he's soft spoken. I mean, and he hasn't really said much about it. I mean, if I was Mike Medano, which I am not, I'm just some fucking journeyman NHL defenseman that was lucky to stick around as long as I did. If I was a first ballot hall of famer and that motherfucker did that to me, I would be screaming it from the rooftops. I would make sure everybody knew about it. But Mike's not like that. Uh, but, yeah, that's like I get a lot of the Babcock stuff. Like I said, it's kind of turned into a bigger thing than I imagined. Um, but, you know, in a way, I would like – I know how hated he is. I mean, everybody – 98% of the people that run into that guy hate his guts. Uh I mean, I can't even think of somebody off the top of my head that likes him, that played for him, and that has anything to do with him. Uh, so it would be nice if more guys said things. I understand why guys don't. Uh, but that's one. That's when, you know, especially up here in Calgary, like I'll get it a lot. And that's kind of my go-to story where I'm like, hey, you want to know what kind of person Mike Babcock is? And then I tell the Mike Medano story about Bab scratching him on like game 77 with like five games left in the season. Full intention, knowing full well. I mean, everything's locked up, and it's Mike. Like they're in the playoffs. The seedings are set. Everything's done. Like these games don't mean anything. And the only reason why I scratched him was so he wouldn't get to fifteen hundred. 
And that's the quickest way to portray what kind of a scumbag Mike Babcock is. Yeah, I just pulled up Mike Medano's stats. He had 561 goals, 813 assists, and 1,499 games played. That's unreal. Pretty good career right there. Pretty good career, but he couldn't get him over the – couldn't get him to 1,500. Maybe Mike Babcock was – How many guys have played 1,500 games? There's got to be, what, like, without looking at it, maybe 20? Yeah, I mean, maybe. it's not many. In the best hockey league in the world. This is yeah. the best American to ever play in the NHL, too, so to not have him get to 1,500. Patrick, It's Kane. a crime. It is a crime. I, I know the guys were telling me, too. Like, Mo didn't say anything, but the other guys, like Dan Claire, they're like, yeah, they're like, this. everybody knew what he was doing. The assistant coaches after, like, pregame skate that day were, like, coming up and, then, like, apologizing to him, like, hey, man, I don't know what to say. I mean, Mike, I don't even – Mike is a class act. I don't know. I mean, I I, I got to hand it to him for handling it that way. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't have done that. That's a tough story for uh, Mr. Madano. But I got to ask you something that we follow pretty religiously during the uh, National Hockey League season is the Masters. And that is the Masters yeah. that you put on. Um, how did that yeah. come about? And uh, <laughs> I think that's just a hilarious stat. It's all Buffalo Sabres, though. Yeah, Buffalo's got a they got a great golf program there. They like making birdies. Uh, yeah, you know what? It was always kind of a running joke, like on teams that I was on, where be like, you know, whoever the worst, like plus minus is on the team or whatever. And plus minus is like a very don't get me wrong, I'll be the worst. You can have a pretty good year, and but if you're on a bad team, or you can have some bad luck, and so it's, I mean, if 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 you're like. I mean, if you have a good team and you're like minus 30 and your team's pretty good, then you're doing something wrong probably. But it's not the end-all, be-all stat by any stretch. But we always used to have like kind of jokes about it. And especially like on, you know, on a couple teams that I was on where, you know, like my second year in Columbus where we weren't very good, it would kind of be like to kind of keep the morale up, you know, it'd be like, you know, we, you know, you don't want to be the green jacket on the team or whatever. So we would kind of like joke about it and try to avoid minuses and guys would be, changing when they're not supposed to just to get off the ice because the other team might score and so i just kind of turned it into like sort of a funny thing or what i thought was funny online and i get some help from a guy out of nova scotia uh yeah to make awesome. like all the I, I i don't have the technology the, the skills to do that but it's just kind of a fun thing you get any flack from guys that are in the league that are on your your master's leaderboard they're like come on no, come on, quit dragging me through the mud here story. It's like a million degrees in here right now. That's why I'm sweating. I'm going to open up the door. Uh, you know what? I was actually kind of worried. Same with the pack your shits. Not worried, but I'm like, you know, I don't want to be an asshole. I'm always a player's first guy. I'm like, I don't want, you know, I hope they, people know that I'm just joking with this. And I think one of the first ones I did, Colorado was awful. Like it was, I don't know, four or five years ago. They were brutal. And, uh, uh gabriel landeskog sent a picture they were done and the whole team went to scottsdale and he sent me a picture on twitter i don't know him i've never met the guy in my life and he had bought i think it was tyson berry and maybe matt duchene had split the, the, the green jacket that year they were tied for the lead and he sent me a picture he had like bottom two like green golf jackets from the i mean it's like 120 degrees in scottsdale they didn't need jackets and he sent me a picture of it so kind of from that point forward, I'm like, all right, that's good. The guys obviously are taking this as a joke. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And yeah, so it, it's been, it's actually, it's something I actually really enjoy doing just because it's like, now, if you're, like I said, if you're constantly way in the minus, 
it might be you. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's kind of a horseshit stat anyways. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a great I... stat when it's going your way. I'll put it that way. When you're like plus 30, you're like, I'm the best player in the league. When you're like minus 30, you're like, oh, it wasn't my fault. The goalie can't save the puck. Yeah, I won so many green jackets in tier three hockey in my career. So oh, there I'm we go. Nice. Don't do that. Congratulations. Well, you know what, Mike, here, we'll wrap it up. But on every interview that we do, we do a quick speed round. So what we do is we just come up with questions on the spot. You can answer them as quickly or as slowly as you want. And sure. then, uh, so I'll go first. My question for you is I want to know the best player that you ever played with, whether it's like a perennial all-star legend of the game, or even just a guy that maybe wasn't, uh, wasn't as well known, but you thought, man, that, that was a good hockey player. And then I want to know the guy that was the most fun player you ever played with. Oof. Okay. Um, I mean, one of the, I guess positives and and one way of getting traded all the time is you get to play with a bunch of really good players, a bunch of excellent players. And I was fortunate enough to play with a bunch of excellent hockey players. Um, First ones that came to mind, I will say the best, I mean, it's tough to go against Jerome again. I'm like, I'll just go with the first ones that come to mind. Uh, Best forward that I ever played with a guy that I was like, and I, I mean, I played with him for a lot long than I did, did Jerome Uh, Rick Nash. Uh, I thought was an incredible, incredible hockey player. He could do things on the ice that I'd never seen before. Uh, defenseman, uh, Scott Niedermeyer was, I mean, the game was so easy. Just a quick story. My first year in, my rookie year in New Jersey, uh, I'll, I'll shorten it up. We had to show up if you were if you were a young guy. You'd show up August first for six weeks of basically two a day training camp. They had just won the Stanley Cup. Jason Arnett and Scott Niedermeyer. Now the veterans didn't have to be there. It was just the younger guys. Jason Arnett and Scott Niedermeyer are holding out that year. They just won. They weren't making enough money. So right towards the end of training camp. So I have been doing two a days and training camp now for almost two months. I'm in the best shape that I've ever been in. Niedermeyer and Arnett show up. So they're going to bag skate them. They're going to skate them hard here. They just showed up. So obviously I'm, I'm a rookie. I'm skating too. I'm part of it. So we get skated hard, hard. I mean, I am dying and I'm, I have sweat through everything that I'm wearing. My Jersey, my shoulder pads, my hockey pants, my, like my, my shin, everything was soaked. I mean, I was literally, there was sweat coming out of the bottom of my skates. And so I go in, and I sit down in the dressing room. I hadn't met Scott yet. And I'm sitting on the other side of the room and he walks in and he skated, he had lapped us. I mean, he was flying. And I'm like, man, it looks so easy for this guy. And so he gets off and he's standing in front of his stall and he's bullshitting with one of the guys or whatever. And he takes his gear off. And at the time they had like these baby blue, like Cooper all undershirts, which would show like sweat. Like it's like a gray t-shirt. And he takes his, top off and i remember he has this shirt i remember looking across the room i'm soaked and he's got like one like little dribble of sweat going down the center of his chest and the rest of him is dry i remember sitting there and i'm like how in the fuck am i supposed to compete against that he he was so good the game was so easy for him just because he was so talented and such a good skater i would actually if i had to pick one player like the best player i've ever seen it would be scott niedermeyer that's and a- fun player? Uh, fuck. <coughs> I don't know. Don't, Shit, don't say Biz or Wit. I don't know if you played with them, but we know enough <laughs> about those guys. 
No, I won't say those two. I never played with either one of them. They're fun dudes, but uh, I'll go with Ray Whitney. Uh, I'll give a shout out to old Ray. Ray was always a great dude. Um, he was a funny guy. Never, I mean, he took things seriously, but he liked to joke around. And I, you know what? Another guy, actually, you know what? I'll give Ray, and then now that I think about it for two more seconds. I was, I didn't get to play with this guy for nearly long enough. If there was one guy, the first guy that off the top of my head where I wish I would have played with him longer, because uh, I, I mean, he was a great player. I grew up watching him play, um, and then played with him just for a playoff run in Carolina. Uh, Doug Wade. Doug Wade was, he was hilarious. I loved that guy. He was awesome. I miss him. My speed round question. Um, uh, Connor mentioned it earlier, Biz and Wit. Uh, who do you like talking to more, the Sue Light guys or the Spit and Chicklet guys? Ooh, great question. Oh, fuck those Chicklet guys. Uh, <laughs> we We're the number one hockey podcast in the world. There we go. <laughs> Appreciate it. And then no uh, just to wrap things up, I thought we'd put a cherry on top. We are talking to the In One King. What was your favorite bar to go to in Grand Forks back in the day? I know you were underage, but I think the statute. Right, yeah. It's okay, nobody cares anymore. Yeah, I got no. so many misdemeanors for drinking. It was unbelievable. That's a, that's part of what I'm talking about when Blazer would stand up for me. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Sit at home with nobody? Uh, you go, you go to the bar back. and you got Dean Blazer's phone number just penciled on, in on feed your dial. I'm like, oh, Blazer, you just wrote his ticket. phone number and pen on your hand and you're like, I'm going to have to call him tonight. <laughs> Um, well, I came in at kind of a, so I came in when I committed, uh, my letter of intent. And then like a month later I was watching TV and just clicking through the channels. And there was like, I clicked past a news channel, Fox news or whatever. And it was an aerial shot of a downtown core that was flooded and burning mm -hmm. and through in the back of my head. I'm like, man, that sucks. <laughs> so we'd suck to be there and then on the bottom of the ticker grand forks north dakota i'm like holy shit i'm supposed to be there in like six months so from my fly down going to the antique and stuff that was all gone mm -hmm. so when i got to north dakota the only bar uh i mean i'm sure there were a couple others up by the mall there maybe a little bit but the only bar we really had an option to go to which is still there today is bonzer's that was oh, the yeah. only place we went my freshman year. And then things started to build up. Uh, so during my time in college, my favorite bar to go to was called The Edge. So it is now, if you're looking at the front door of, what is it, Joe Black's? Yeah. Yep. And so if you're looking at the front door and you go right and you go to the end of that road, it's right like... What is that, Columbia that goes on the bridge? Is that Columbia Demers. or what's the main one that goes right through downtown? Demers. 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 Okay, so Demers with the bridge there. So it's right on the corner of whatever that road that Joe Black's on and Demers. I, 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 it might be another bar. I'm not sure now. but I think you're talking. It's probably like level 10 O'Reilly's area there. That level 10 kind of sounds familiar. That yeah. might be what it was. Back like, in the day, it was called The Edge, and it was the first kind of like – Barish. There was like a downstairs and an upstairs. Yep, so, yep. that's exactly yeah. it. So I'll go with the edge. It's different what, now, but the edge back in the day was awesome. What about your go-to? Uh, <clears throat> what Whoa. about your go-to late-night pizza cravings? Where would you go for that? I think we know the answer. Oh, Deke's Pizza all day. <laughs> oh, Deke's Pizza. We love Deke's Pizza. They they're a proud Deke's sponsor pizza. of our I didn't podcast. Eat anything but that. 
<laughs> yeah, we're they're a proud. We're proud to have them as a sponsor of our podcast. We love plugging them in whenever we can. And Tyler told they us that you love these. Pizza. Oh man, I'm actually awesome. kind of. I haven't had one in a while. Next time I go back to Grand Forks, I gotta make a point of getting one. Yeah, let us know. We know a couple guys with some uh, Deeks Pizza free codes that you can maybe. Get a, oh, I'll get pay for it. I'm going to pay for it like it was back in the day. <laughs> Kami can support. Uh, well, when yeah. you come back to Forks, let us know. And we'll we'll get in one with you. We'll go to Judy's Definitely. and ride and the bus. We'll make sure that the Suleys treat you right. That's for sure. Perfect. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know what, Kami? I suppose we'll wrap this up here. When uh, One thing I wanted to tell you is when we started doing this podcast, we were sat down, we were having some beers, and we said, our holy grail of Sioux Light will be if we can talk to Mike Commodore, and tonight we oh. did it. So we thank you. This was the most uh, this is the most fun we've had doing this podcast, and we're it was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, that's I don't know what to say. I'm honored, and and thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm glad we met Tyler. I'm glad we got to set this up. And anytime you guys want to chat, I'm available. Absolutely, this is a freakish thing led to this, and and like Connor said, the white whale, the holy grail. <laughs> is Mr. Mike Commodore. So appreciate well, we'll it. Thanks for your time. Too. God bless you, Kami. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate All it. Right.